The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Church family, let's take our Bibles and find our place in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And of course, today we pick up out of where we were before as we speak about who is our Redeemer, that our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, that He has died on the cross of Calvary, and that on the third day He rose again with victory over death, hell, and the grave, so that any man, woman, boy, and girl in the world could put their faith in Jesus Christ alone and have eternal salvation. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, we'll read the first seven verses, and so I want to ask that you would read along silently in your Bible as I read the Word of God aloud for us. And so the Bible says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher, And an apostle, I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Our good Father, we do come to you now, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God, and we pray that your Spirit and word would find their place in our heart. That you would teach us and train us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ that you would redeem those who are lost and that you would encourage those who are saved, that we might truly be a part of your wonderful universal plan of the gospel. And we will thank you for it, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Have a friend of mine down in Cary, a pastor, and uh, he's uh, for, uh, forever posting. This year, he's trying to uh, lose a certain amount of weight. And him and his buddies, they they uh, they go to this place, and I think it's called the uh, Iron Tribe Workout Center or something like Iron Tribe. And they do all of these workouts. And of course, I'm always under conviction because every day I see where he's working out and I'm not working out. But I think about that name, the Iron Tribe. And of course, if you're familiar with the business world, that that word tribe is very much a buzzword around your your tribe, your loyal following. And if you're involved in sports, then you might not use tribe, but you would use a term like team. And maybe in a place like this, you would be a Wolfpack fan. I'm sorry if you are, but you might be a Tar Heels fan. Praise the Lord for that. And there might even be some Marshall fan in here somewhere in the house. But uh, you might use the word tribe. You might use the word team. You might use the word side. We have nations. But it it seems to me that uh, humanity has gone the way of dividing and separating all of these groups so that we find ourselves compartmentalizing all of our life, not only inwardly, but outwardly, so that we see the people in the world in our little group of who we are comfortable. 
But the Bible teaches when it comes to the scope of salvation and the entire work of God's gospel that it is not divided into tribe, nor team, nor side, nor group, nor ethnic group. It is given to all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Look back down with me if you would. Let me show you just a few things here. I'm going to divide the text today in three portions, but I want to show you a repeating phrase here of which the Apostle Paul is trying to drive us toward the universal offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you'll notice that Paul says at the end of verse number one, be made on behalf of prayers, be made on behalf of all men. And that's the generic word for men. It's, it's mankind, man, woman, boy, or girl, that prayers be made on behalf of all men. And then drop down to what you would at verse number four. He says, God our Savior who desires all men to be saved. And then look at the beginning of verse number six. He says again here, who gave himself as a ransom for, say it church, for for all. That's right, for all. And then you might not get this, but it, uh, look at the end of verse number 7. He says that I've been appointed as a teacher of the Gentiles. And what he means there is all of the Gentile nations. Again, it's the thrust of all the world, all the people in the world, the Jew, the Gentile, all of the nations. And so four times the Apostle Paul says to us, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the plan of God, when it comes to what God wants to do in the world of bringing His kingdom to bear on all mankind. He says, I want all people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Not just a tribe. Not just your team. Not just the people that you feel comfortable with. Not just those that look like you and act like you and smell like you and talk like you. But all people around the world in every nation in every tribe, in every tongue, in every people, God wants people to come to faith in the Son of the living God. And our responsibility is to take the gospel and blossom it out to a universal level so that everybody around the world can have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me divide this text for us today just in three small movements when it comes to the eternal and the universal plan of God for uh, mankind. First of all, as believers at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we see from verse number one and verse number two that we have our ministry, and our ministry is the ministry of global prayer. Our ministry is the ministry of global prayer. Look back at verse number one. Let me walk through one and two with you. He says, first of all, then I urge. And so when he says, first of all, he's not speaking in chronological order, but he is saying, first of all, in order of importance. In fact, this goes back all the way to chapter one and verse number 18, the original exportation and the exhortation of the apostle Paul is, he says here, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings. Now, some of you in the room, you, you scholars, you might want to maybe uh, split hairs and divide all of those terms. And surely each of those terms has a slight variation when it comes to prayer. But for this morning and for the sake of what we're doing, we can just simply say that when it comes to entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, what God is saying in this passage through the Apostle Paul is that the Lord wants us to pray. 
And I think what I can say here this morning is that if you're anything like me, your prayer life this past week, all of us should come down to this altar at the end of the service and say, dear God, my prayer life is not what it should be. I have not been praying. I have not been giving my heart and my soul and my passion to speaking to you, to talking to you, to giving myself over to you, to your accomplishment of the gospel in all the world. Brothers and sisters, he says here that entreaties and prayers, and then notice the word petitions. It is the word we would get for intercession in this. And can I say something? The Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for the saints. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us with groans that cannot be uttered. And so the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ are always interceding on our behalf. But this last week as I was studying that term, I, I, man, it just dawned on me as I was reading and studying for the first time, I have always thought about the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God interceding for me like they're the beyond the furthest stars somewhere out in the third heaven and they're at the throne of God and they're praying for us. That's how I've always thought about the word intercession. But actually, brothers and sisters, the word to intercede here means that Jesus throws himself into everything that is going on in your daily life and he works with you there to accomplish his kingdom purposes. Now, isn't that a different way of looking at it? Jesus is not beyond the third heaven. Jesus is sitting in the pew beside you. And whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever trouble and trial that is in your life, whatever is going on in your family and in your neighbor and all the way around the world, Jesus throws himself in the middle of our trials and says, I'm right here with you. Talk to me about it. And what does it say here? I urge you, I beg you, I exhort you, I plead with you to make entreaties and prayers and petitions, intercession, to throw yourself with Christ into the middle of the problems of the world. That they be made on behalf of all mankind. The Lord Jesus wants us to pray for everybody all over the world. The prayer plan, the ministry of prayer that we have is a universal, it is a global plan of prayer. Not just for my big toe, not just for my headache and my cold, not just for my friends and my family and my area of life, but all around the world. Jesus wants us to pray for every human being in the world, whether you like them or whether you don't like them, whether they're on your side or they're not on your side, whether they're in your tribe or not in your tribe. Jesus wants us to pray for all humanity. Now what do you think would happen in this world if just the believers in this room left here today and said, I'm going to throw myself in to prayers for my country, for my leaders, for my people, and the people all around the world that they might come to faith in Jesus. Do you think that God would change the world? God might change your world. And look at what he says here in verse 2. He, he goes ahead and delineates for you a little bit. For all men and for kings and all who are in authority. The word authority here means high places or rulers or those who have the say over your life. They're governmental leaders. Pastor Steve, you're not getting into politics, but are you saying that you ought to pray for your leaders? Yes. Well, what if they're the ones that I don't like? Pray for them. So that, they may, so that we may lead a tranquil. The word tranquil means peace on the outward circumstances and a quiet life means peace on the inward circumstances. 
So we pray for all humanity. We pray for those that are in leadership so that we may have a, a, that we may have a tranquil or that there might be peace throughout the land outwardly and there may be peace and a quietness in our own soul that God is giving us confidence in Him that the gospel and His kingdom might come to bear on all the world. Are you saying, Pastor, that if we prayed the way that we should, if we threw ourselves into a prayer life for each other, for our church, for our world, that we could have peace without and peace within? Yes. Because that's how powerful He is. And then He says for you, He gives you this prepositional phrase, how we're to do that in all godliness and dignity. You might have honesty. In all godliness, honesty, dignity, decorum. The word here is decency. Now wouldn't it be good if the political world that we have going on in our country, if people could just act with a little bit of decency somewhere? A little bit of kindness, a little decorum, agree to disagree on things, but not be rude and sorry. God wants His believers to pray for all mankind, for our leaders, and for us to do so in godliness and dignity. Now, can I just pause and tell you two things from this verse? Our ministry is a ministry of global prayer. And the Apostle Paul says in this, I want you to pray for your kings and rulers. Does anybody in this room, this is rhetorical, I'll tell you. Do you know who is the king at the time when Paul is writing this to Timothy? Nero is the king of Rome. And in fact, at this time, Nero, in his insane mind, set Rome on fire and blamed it on the Christians. And the Apostle Paul comes behind and he says, I know Nero has set Rome on fire. I know Nero has blamed us. I know they're putting us at the stake and throwing us to the den of lions. I know they are drawing and quartering us and killing us, but still pray for your rulers. Are you doing that? I must confess to you, even this week, the Lord has touched my own heart. I don't even know who all the rulers are in our own state. Do you? I don't act pious. No, you don't. You can't name them all. Do you? I don't even know who they are, much less pray for them. Right? And you're looking at I see some smiles out there. You're looking at me, yeah, okay, maybe so. That's right. Brothers and sisters, the leaders of this country have not set it on fire and blamed it on Christians. And the Apostle Paul comes back to every one of us in this room and says, we ought to pray for every person in the world and we ought to pray for our leaders. Here's a second point of application for you. I had a friend of mine, uh, uh, he used this illustration in a different manner. Uh, I have a program, uh, we have both have a program, uh, a Bible program called Logos, and uh, it, it does a bazillion and one things. And my friend will often say, he doesn't know how to use it all that well, and he'll say, I feel like I have a Ferrari in my garage that I drive down to check the mail and back again. You know, I, I feel like I'm going squirrel, squirrel hunting with a bazooka. Can I say something to you? I feel like sometimes in the life of our own church, and even in my own life, and you put in your own life, that we go squirrel hunting with a bazooka. We have the most powerful force on earth that we can speak to the living God of heaven and He will speak back to us. And yet, what we pray about is our headaches and our colds and this and that. And certainly God is able to answer all of those things. And certainly God is interested in the finer details of our life. But the world is going to hell. Are you praying for Him? You have a global ministry of prayer. 
The people in Yemen need you to pray for them. The people in Turkey need you to pray for them. The people in London need you to pray for them. The people in Raleigh need you to pray for them. Not just our small world, but the whole global world. You have the responsibility to pray, to pray, to pray that salvation might come to unbelievers. So do I. And I want you to leave here today and I want you to bear up under that burden and realize that when you leave, God expects you to pray for all the people in the world. For your leaders and all who are in control. So if verse 1 and 2 teach us about our ministry in this global work of God, verse 3 down through verse number 6 teach us about our message in the global work of the kingdom of God. Let me walk through these verses pretty quickly with you. Look at what it says in verse number 3. It begins by saying this, and that is a reference back to the global prayer that the Apostle Paul wants us to do. This, praying for the world. And notice, now don't put these two together. They're separate. This is good and it's acceptable. Right? It is good on the will of behalf of all mankind. People need us to pray. It is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. That actually appears in the text to look like this. Uh, in the sight of our Savior God. Do you know why? Because in the cult of Caesar in Rome, they referred to the Caesar as Savior in those days. And certainly the Caesar of Rome was the Savior in temporal circumstances. He provided the community and provided the wealth and he provided the work. But this text is, uh, this text is trying to set Jesus and God our Father over again against the Roman Empire and the Caesar of that day. He may be the Savior of your temporal circumstances, but Jesus is the Savior of our soul. Amen? And let me just tell you this. If you ever think somebody that governs our country or somebody that is in government or somebody that's in rulership, that they are the Messiah and the hope for our nation, you have messed up. The only hope we have is the hope of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is our Savior, God. Look back at the text. In the sight of God, our Savior. And now look at what both things that He desires. Who desires all men to be saved. The word there for desire comes from a motive term which means that in the heart of God, He longs and loves for every human being in the world to put their faith in Jesus Christ. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The heart of God is for unbelievers to get saved. I want you to know something. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to perish out there in eternal damnation. The desire of God is that men and women and boys and girls all around the world would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that every person in the world will be saved. It means that the longing heart and the beat of Christ is that you might be saved, but you, my friend, must put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ alone. He has created the covenant of election, but it must be ratified by the terms and conditions of faith in Jesus. Who gave Himself? Look here who desires all men to be saved. And look now, something else. And to come to the knowledge, the full knowledge of the truth. So what are the, what's the content of our prayer life in verse number 1 and 2? The content is that God desires all men to be saved. So we want to pray for the salvation of all mankind. But not just a conversion. 
The Apostle Paul is not just saying, I, I remember when I was younger, I was, sometimes uh, I would hear guys preach and the idea was just get them saved and let God sort it out. And they would get them saved and then never do anything else. Well, I, I want you to understand, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you need to be converted. You need to go from death to life, put your faith in Jesus and be saved. There's a moment of reconciliation where we're trusting in Christ, but that's not it. He says, look at here, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I remember years ago, I used to see people, and I've even done this myself, I've drawn an illustration of salvation for people before. I've said, uh, you know, and I look over here, is, uh, this, is your, this is your life, you're lost over here, and there's this great chasm between you and uh, salvation over here, and the cross is the bridge that gives you from death to life. Now, brothers and sisters, I've, what I've come to understand is it's probably not the most healthy thing to tell people that the cross is the bridge from death to life. The reason why is because they will come to understand the cross as transportation instead of transformation. The cross is not something that you leave in the past when you got saved or when you came to faith in Christ. The cross and the gospel loom larger every day in your life so that you don't ever walk past the gospel. You walk deeper into the gospel. And by the time you die, the gospel, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus ought to be more in your life than it was at the day of your conversion. It's not merely taking you from death to life. You have it every day of your life. God doesn't just simply want you to be saved. God wants you to walk in the power of the resurrected life every day of your life. Look at what he says in verse number 5. For there is one God... Now that harkens back. The Apostle Paul's going back to the book of Deuteronomy and he is giving the Shema, right? That's what the Jews would call that. For the Lord our God is one God. There is a, there is a unity that is found in the God of the Bible. And in fact, the salvation of the world is made possible because there is one God and not many gods. You see, if there were many gods, then he, all those gods could make different demands upon all the people of humanity and thereby making it impossible for people to come to faith in Christ. But there is one God with one plan and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Salvation's offer to the world, the universal offer of the gospel is made possible because there is only one God. And look at verse number five, and one mediator also between God and men. And again, I want to remind all of our ladies in here, every time you see the word man or men used in this passage, it simply means mankind. In fact, did you know this? Uh, you see where it says the man Christ Jesus? There are two words for man. There's a generic term which means mankind and there is a male term. And in this passage, when it says the man Christ Jesus, it is speaking here of the fact that he represents mankind. Specifically, so that all the ladies in the room would understand, yes, Christ was a man, he was male, but when he died and when he mediates, he does so on behalf of every human being, not just men. And one mediator between God and men. Quickly, make sure that when you understand this word mediator, that you understand it rightly. Sometimes when we think of mediator, we think of like a mediation. Has anybody ever, I don't know how to ask that, sometimes life falls out in a way that you have to go to a mediator. 
Sometimes uh, relationships and marriages uh, fall out in such a way that uh, they have to go to a mediation. And when you go and sit down in a mediation, what you're naturally saying is this peacekeeping one, this one that goes between us, we recognize that both parties have done some bit of wrong somewhere. Even if one party is really, 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 really right, somewhere in there they still realize, well, I'm human, I'm fallen, and this relationship is not good. And so there's a mediation, a meeting at the middle. That is not what this means. The mediator is Christ Himself who comes from the Holy God and comes down to us and says, you are the sinner. You are the failure. You have come short of the glory of God. And the only reason why I'm here is because you need me to make peace with the Father. See, it's not as if God is some sort of angry man with his back turned to you and he just took up his toys and played in another sandbox and you hope that you can make it right. No, the holy God of heaven looks down and says, you are sinning and running for me every day of your life, but I've sent my son to be the reconciler, to take all of your sin into himself, to die on the cross and be raised again on the third day so that you could have peace with me because I have put my wrath and judgment in him. That ought to make every heart in this room crumble into humility. If you go to heaven, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of everything that He's done and who He is. One mediator between God and men. And then look here. The man Christ Jesus. You see, this verse emphasizes both His deity and His humanity. You see, the latter part, Christ Jesus, that is the messianic name of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He comes from heaven, that He is God, very God, but He is the man, Christ Jesus. And the reason why He can be our mediator is because He is both human and divine at the same time. He is sinless, and yet He represents us. Look at verse 6. Who gave Himself as a ransom for all. The word ransom here means to be in the stead of. It means a substitution. It is the price that is paid on behalf of a slave for freedom. He died in our place. And then look here. The testimony given at the proper time or in due season, maybe yours might say. This is made up of two words here. And it means that uh, one of the words talks about the culmination of all history is at the cross. And that the time and the season of the testimony is between the cross and today. Brothers and sisters, the time for the testimony about the message of the gospel is right now while the world still has a chance. When we leave here today, our responsibility is to take the universal message of the gospel to all the people in the world. That's why we give to missions. That's why we go on missions. That's why we push every week for you to look to your neighbor and your friends and your coworkers and your family to invite them to events and to share the gospel that they might repent of their sin and look to the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross that He died for them and rose again. The message is the universal message that Jesus saves. Amen? And lastly, our mission. Our ministry. Our message. Verse number 7. Our mission. Look at what Apostle Paul says. He says, for this, and that's referencing back. You notice how verse 3 said, this, right, to the prayer. Our ministry is prayer. And what is the message of our prayer? The gospel that Jesus comes to save. And then he says here, for this, right, for the message of the gospel. For this I was appointed. 
And then he uses three terms. He says, I was appointed a preacher. The word here is karugama or a herald. It is the person who has the orders from the king and he runs into the village and with all of the authority and the gravity and the power of the king, not because the messenger has the power, but because the messenger has the message from the king. He runs into the community and he says to all of the village people, lay down your weapons, stop fighting, bow down before, here comes the king. And we are heralds too. We have been given the message of God of salvation to the human race that we might run and tell them not with the authority of ourselves, not in our own power, not in our own strength, but in the authority of the message of the Word of God that comes from Jesus. Bow down before Him. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your pride and trust in Jesus Christ. A preacher and an apostle. The word apostle means a sent out one. We are ambassadors, so to speak. We have been sent out from God and the Gospel to tell the world. You see, when you get ready to go to work tomorrow, you don't just go there and, and what do you do? I, I do this for a living, and I do this for a living, and I do this. I remember uh, years and years ago in Sarasota, Florida, I worked as the, uh, for Orchid, and I would go into this lady's house, and she'd say, the bug guy's here. That's the bug guy, all right? When you go to work, you're not just the bug guy. You're not just the business lady. You're not just, uh, you're not just a stay-at-home parent. You're not, you're not just whatever. When you leave here today, you leave as an ambassador of Jesus Christ with the message of God in your hand and the authority that comes from a king. And then look what he says. He throws this in here. He says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. You'll find that the Apostle Paul does that several times. There, uh, you, know how, you know how sometimes you can punch people's buttons? You're, oh, listen, I know a bunch of husbands and wives. and You know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't leave it there. You know, you, you know the buttons you like to push on each other's lives. Whenever people wanted to be mean to the Apostle Paul, they punched his button of saying, you're not, tru you're not truly an Apostle. And so you'll find that the Apostle Paul is forever in the text coming back and saying, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, I am an Apostle. Now look what he says here, third term, as a teacher, as one who explains to the Gentiles. And then look here, it's not that he's teaching the faith and the truth. No, faith and truth give the sphere or the function of the role in which he gives the gospel. He says here, as a teacher of the Gentiles, and I do this in faith and truth. And so when he says, when I go out and I give the gospel, I do so in faith, that is in confidence in the way things really are, that God is God, that His Son did die, and that this will change your life. I do so in the faith and the confidence of God, and I do so in the truth. The word here is aletheia. It simply means that it's not hidden. Truth is that which reveals itself to skepticism. And the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of the word of God, has to hide from no man. The Bible has to hide from no one. It is simply a tiger that must be uncaged. 
You can bring any accusation against the gospel that you want, and it hides from no one. And as an ambassador, and as a herald, and as a teacher of the Word of God, when you leave here, you understand you can have confidence in the gospel because it is true, and you can lay it out, and you can tell somebody, just put your life up against this. Just walk this way and see if it doesn't prove itself to be true in your life. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. No. Jesus said, follow me, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to hide from. The gospel that changed your life is the same gospel that will change the rest of the world. And you ought to walk, not in arrogance, but in confidence. And you ought to speak to the people in your life, not in some sort of shameful, apologetic way, but you ought to speak into their life in grace and truth, in kindness, in humility, but you ought to tell them, I have the answer for your life. It is Jesus Christ. Follow Him, and you'll see that He'll change you from the inside out. I was reading this past week about a famous preacher who was at a conference And he was speaking and he said to the congregation, what is it that prevents you from sharing the gospel more in your life? And people are kind of shouting in this conference, fear. And of course there is that uh, thing in your throat and the butterflies in your stomach and nobody really wants to approach the subject of religion with unbelievers and surely fear keeps us from that. And he said, no, that is not the most important reason of why you don't share the gospel. Somebody else said, we don't have enough training and certainly we need more training of how to share the gospel. But I assure you that is not the reason why you do not share the gospel because the uh, uneducated fishermen in the book of Acts, they shared the gospel without ever having gone through any 12 step program and they won the world to Jesus reason after reason after reason and the man finished by saying this the reason why you don't share the gospel is because you do not believe in the power of the gospel to change lives Romans 1 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The reason, most likely, that we remain mute with our faith and we live lives of quiet desperation in religion is because we're not truly convinced that the gospel will turn somebody's life inside out and upside down And so I want to ask you, has the gospel done that for you? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And have you seen the power of the gospel change radically your life and others? Maybe you ought to go back to that day that in the quaking of your heart, you put your confidence in Jesus and He changed you. And you ought to live tomorrow saying, I'm going to give the gospel to somebody. I, I, uh, many of you know, a lot of times I'll help out funeral homes here in Raleigh for families that do not have a pastor or a church. I really enjoy giving the gospel to unbelievers. And uh, that gets me out. And uh, as a pastor, a lot of times I'm in a bubble of the church. That gets me out among unbelievers. It makes me uncomfortable. 
I do funerals sometimes where I'll meet with families and they'll say, we don't want any preaching. And I'm like, uh, that's kind of what I do. I did a funeral one time. They said, we don't want any Jesus. And why am I here? Most of the time, I'll just simply say, is it okay if I read a couple of verses of Scripture? And in almost every funeral I've ever done, I usually will read John 14, 1-6 because it brings comfort to those who are brokenhearted. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again that I may receive you to my own. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we possibly know how to get there? I will talk with congregations and I'll say, that's me. I'm a doubter. Some of the most important verses in all the Scripture is the exclusivity of the Gospel. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. I tell you on the authority of the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, there is an exclusivity to the Gospel that if you want to get saved, you get saved no other way than putting your confidence in Jesus Christ. However, hear me, my brothers and my sisters in this room, there is an inclusiveness to the Gospel in its scope. So don't wait around. Get out there and share the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says four times to Timothy, pray for all people. God desires all to come to faith. Jesus died as a ransom for all. He's appointed me a teacher to all the Gentile nations. He says the same to you. One way to heaven through Jesus. But why don't you go tell the whole world about that one way? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? In just a moment, we'll stand and sing a song together. But maybe right now, in your own heart, if you're here today and you have never come by way of the one way of Jesus Christ, I tell you, please, and I'm pleading with you, lay down your sin, your ideas, all of the things you've been trusting in, and in your mind, in your heart right now, run to Jesus and ask Him, please, please save me. I'll give my whole life to you. Save me. I need you. And He will. For the rest of us, what's your prayer life look like in the last seven days? I'm happy if you prayed for your family. That's wonderful. I'm happy if you're praying for your church. We need it. Lord knows we need it. How big is your prayer life? How universal is it? Are you reveling and worshiping in the message of the gospel of Christ crucified and raised again for unbelievers? And are you taking the message to the world? You want to take the message to the world? Start by where your daily life is tomorrow. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.